Well, today I am concluding my messages on the Holy Spirit. Even though I'm finishing preaching on the topic of the Holy Spirit, the reality is uh, my, the next book that I'll be preaching from, starting next week, next week, those of you who know the church calendar, is the day of Pentecost, 50 days after Easter. It's already gone by that fast. And uh, the church calendar, we celebrate the fact that on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came to the church. And so, even though I'm going to wrap up today my preaching on the topic of the Holy Spirit, who the Holy Spirit is, the reality is we'll hear lots about the Holy Spirit because once we talk about the day of Pentecost in the book of Acts, I'm going to continue to preach through the book of Acts and we will see the Holy Spirit continually working through the start of the church. And I believe that it's important for us to study the book of Acts. Why? Because I really believe, I even was even talking to our bishop this week, and I was saying, I believe that we, as the church, especially here in Canada, need to act as if we were the early church. See, for so long, in North America and Canada, we have, as Christians, had the opportunity to be pretty open about our faith, upfront about our faith. Churches, you know, multiple churches. We've got like a dozen churches in Kempville, you know, that you can go and, and freely worship. But the reality of the Christian state is that many people are not coming to church. The church numbers, I'm sure you're aware, are shrinking. And if you're not aware, you can read statistics. And I would just say, open your eyes. The reality is, or open your ears. The, the reality is in the media or in culture, the church is being pushed to the fringe. The word of God, people don't want to hear about. And other ideas are being promoted. So what does that have to do with the church of the New Testament in the book of Acts? Well, in that day, the church did not even exist. And so we need to act as if we don't even exist to certain people. And yet, what happened? As the church was formed and the Holy Spirit filled the church, the still, still the church grew and operated and ministered and people's lives were changed. And so I believe even though you look around and you hear the statistics about how the church is dwindling, we can still have much hope that if we as a church recognize that God can still move despite the fact that we might not have a place in culture, we can run uh, the way the church originally ran, which is uh, a counterculture. A culture that, that is different. See, for so long, I believe, even when I was a youth growing up in church and going to youth group and going to big events, the way the church operated was rather than being a counterculture, the church tried to engage in culture. Have a presence in culture. Try to speak to culture. You know, let's have someone who we know go in, who's a Christian go into politics. Let's have someone who we know as a Christian go into and, 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 and spout their Christianity in front of everyone, maybe in the news or on Facebook or whatever. And the reality is the world's not paying attention to us. And so in order to be countercultural, it's more about starting with something small, working with individuals and sharing Rather than trying to speak to large groups, sharing our faith one-on-one. -on -one. And I believe we will see that in the book of Acts. And it will teach us 
how God wants to work in the church today. So that's what you have to look forward to as next week we'll read about the day of Pentecost and uh, I'll be preaching that throughout the summer. Today I'm closing my sermon on the Holy Spirit. And I thought, if I'm going to say one more thing about the Holy Spirit before we go into the book of Acts and we'll see more of the Holy Spirit, like I said, what would I want to say? And I was thinking about how often people struggle knowing who God is. We say, God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Some people have a hard time relating to God the Father because they've had poor relationships with their father. You say God is Father, and some people are like, well, I don't know what that looks like because I haven't seen a good father. Some of you don't struggle with that, but some, a lot of people do. Then we say God, the Son came. Jesus came into the world. He was born of a virgin. He lived and grew and became a man. He was crucified on a cross, died and rose again. And we say, you can relate to this Jesus who came to suffer and die for us. But then people think, well, he came to earth, but that was 2,000 years ago. And then he went to heaven, and, and where is he now? I don't know if you've ever had these types of conversations with people. People who want to see, they want to touch. They're like the disciple Thomas who says, you know, I won't believe unless I see, unless I can touch my Savior. That's why we call them Doubting Thomas. So that problem still exists for many people that they can't relate to God because they can't see or touch. So we have people who struggle to relate to the Father, some people who can't see or touch the Son. But you know what Jesus promised? He promised to send us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was the promise to fill that void of people who struggle with feeling alone. Any of you struggle with that? If, if you don't struggle with that, I encourage you to go and find people. Get out of your house and, and, and talk to your neighbors, talk to your family members. You're going to find someone who struggles with being alone. I'll be open and honest. I, I'm a pastor. My job is to communicate with people, be around people. Um, I'm reading a book right now, and it talks about uh, two forms of love. And in this book, it says there's a hard side and a soft side of love. And, 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 and people are prone to being either harder when they show their love or softer when they show their love. And then he gives an illustration of four different animals, a lion, a beaver, an otter, and a golden retriever as different, four different types of personalities that you might be in this book. And, um, and some are more keep to themselves and some are more out there extroverted, introverted or out, extroverted. I'll just, uh, I won't tell you about all of these personality types, but I'll tell you I am an otter. I'm, I, 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 I like to communicate. I like to have fun. I think about, I'm very hopeful and playful, and I think about the future, and I jump into things without thinking about the consequences often. 
Whereas like a beaver, you might know a beaver, they, they think through things. They won't jump into things without having a whole plan about it. So these are the contrasts of the different personalities. But as I was reading this book and thinking about this sermon that I'm going to preach, I, I thought about even the people who are like me, who are very social and playful and, and feed off of other people's energy, we still struggle and feel alone. Do you believe that? That the extroverts sometimes even feel very alone? I don't know if you've ever felt this. Sometimes I, I'm, I'm sure you felt this too, I can be in a crowd of people. I can be in an event that really suits my personality where I could be having a lot of fun. And yet, even in the middle of that, if there's something going on in my head or something going on in my heart that is troubling me, I can still feel alone. Even though there's people in the room, my wife can even be in the room, my best friends can be in the room, and I know they love me. It could be a church activity, and I know my church loves me, and yet I can still feel all alone. You say, Pastor, what are you talking about? Aren't you supposed to be talking about the Holy Spirit? Yes, this is, this is the promise of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus said, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. It was to combat the fears that the disciples had of being alone. Remember, Jesus said, I am going away to another place, and where I go, you cannot follow. Remember Jesus telling his disciples this? Right after that is when he says, and I will send you another, the Holy Spirit, who will be your comforter. The the purpose of the Holy Spirit is so that you can feel the closeness of God. The Spirit of God is the one who wants to draw, draw close to you. Here's, in, here's another thing is, we often hear that word spirit and we either think of a ghost or we think of a mystical power. We think of something that is different than a person. But the reality is the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit as a person. He lives in you as a person. This is what the New Testament is going to, I'm going to show you in Scripture where it talks about the Holy Spirit this way. The Holy Spirit is more than a mystical power. The Holy Spirit is more than just a ghost. The Holy Spirit is a person. And you can have a relationship with the Father. You can have a relationship with the Son. But you also can have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Often the church has preached, you need to have a personal relationship with Jesus, right? You've, I'm sure you've heard that. But, but I believe that you also need to have a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit talks. The Holy Spirit moves. The Holy Spirit guides. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. Because He's a person and He loves you and He wants to be close to you. And you need to allow Him to move and lead and guide and speak to you so that you can develop that personal relationship and that closeness to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a personal God, and He wants to share His closeness with you. All right, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 to 2 says this, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Right in the beginning, 
Nothing's been created. All we have is um, the heavens and the earth. Sorry, I said nothing's been created. The first things God's created was the heavens and the earth. And here's the earth and here's the heavens. And what's happening? The, the Spirit of God is hovering. I, I imagine the Spirit of God who is a person who has this ability to be omnipresent, right? If, if, if the Holy Spirit indwells all believers, then the believer in Australia on the other side of the world has the Holy Spirit, and I have the Holy Spirit. So this, the Holy Spirit has the ability to be everywhere at all. This is the amazing part about God. God is omnipresent, which means he can be everywhere at all times. The Holy Spirit can be there and here all at once. And so here I envision in, the, in, in Genesis, in the beginning, God creates the heaven and the earth, and the Spirit is already active, already wanting to be in different places. He's moving about. It says he's hovering, which I have this picture of him moving about, ready to move, ready to participate in creation. The Bible tells us in the New Testament that Jesus created with the Father, but I believe it was the Trinity, the relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit working together to create the world. Now here's a beautiful thing about the fact that you can know that the Holy Spirit is a God who is close and doesn't want you to be alone. Here, here's, here's something that I thought about uh, and I've heard uh, taught and I think it's kind of interesting and I never thought about it until recently. It, it's that God has never been alone. See, there, God has always been as creation, creation creatures, we at one point, never existed. And even the earth at one point didn't exist. God is the all-eternal one who's always existed. But here's the beautiful thing about God. God is triune, which means there's three parts to God. Which a God of love, you say, well, how can you love if you're all by yourself? Well, the reality is God, who was one together, also has three parts, and those parts love each other. Father loves the Son. The Son loves the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit loves the Father. They all work together in a loving relationship. And therefore, God, who is eternal, has never been alone. Because even though he's one, he's three persons in a loving relationship. I think that's comforting to me. And so we see right at the beginning, God, the Spirit of God moving. He actively participated in creation. He was there in the beginning before the creation of the earth. John 14, verses 15 to 17, Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. Be with you how long? Just for a short time? No. Be with you as long as only you're being well-behaved? No. That's not to say you can't grieve the Spirit by doing things. You can upset the Spirit of God within you. He will grieve the fact that you are not following Him and you're making bad choices and you're choosing to sin. But He will be with you as believers, as long as you believe, He will be with you forever. This is the Spirit of truth. John 14, 17. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept Him. Again, He's a person. Because he neither, neither sees him or knows him, but you know of him, for he lives with you and will be in you. The New Testament talks about how the Holy Spirit is the seal of God of our salvation. What does that mean? I believe that means exactly what Jesus is telling his disciples here is that the Holy Spirit will be with you. He lives with you and in you. When you know you have the Holy Spirit working within you, you know you, you're a believer. 
you sense the Holy Spirit's presence. You can see the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You can see those things come out of you as the Spirit works in you. Also, the Holy Spirit, like I preached last week, gives you gifts so that you can minister for Him in ways you never could. Why? Because He's in you. He's so close. Listen, He's so close that He can touch your heart and your mind and speak to the places. Like, I'm close to Amy Beth, right? She's my wife. We've had five children together where we can read each other's minds sometimes, where we can finish each other's sentences and we know what each other are thinking. But the reality is, even when I say we read each other's minds and we know what each other are thinking, it's guesswork, right? It's because we've been together so long our life patterns have become predictable. That's what's really happening. It's not that I can actually read her mind. Like if you could really read your spouse's mind, you might actually get in a lot of trouble, right? Right? Like that would be dangerous. But here's the beauty. God knows the thoughts of our heart. It tells us in the Old Testament and in the New Testament that, that God actually can hear your thoughts. Why? Because he lives in you. I said he's he's. Uh, uh, omnipresent, which means he's everywhere. He's also um, omniscient. Omniscient. In the word omniscient is the word science. Science actually means knowledge. Omni means all. All knowledge. God knows all things. So he even knows every thought that's been you've been having because he lives in you. He knows what you're thinking right now. Like, if you're thinking, hurry up, pastor, get to the end of your sermon, and we've got lunch to go to. He knows you're thinking that. He knows. You know, or if you're like, I see that stain on his shirt. I, you know, like, he knows if you're being critical. He knows if you're being encouraging. He knows if you're being positive. He knows every thought about you. The Bible says that God knows so much about you. The Spirit of God knows so much about you. He knows every hair on your head, right? Like, for some of you, Hartley, like, it's pretty easy. Like, however, even the ones that are still trying to grow out, he knows, how many there are. It's a beautiful thing, how much the Spirit. You know what? Sometimes I think when we are lonely, when we struggle with this thing called lonely, we just wish, we just would hope that someone would know us, understand us. You know, it's very powerful when you have a friend who you can just talk to and they won't necessarily talk back. And what I mean, like, of course you want a response to know that they heard you, but they don't try to fix you, or they don't judge you or are critical of you. They just listen and receive what you have to say. Well, God is like that, right? He knows everything about you. He listens to every thought in your head. And yet, even when he speaks, we have to listen intently to what he says. And so he allows us to speak sometime with no response whatsoever. He knows us. He knows our thoughts. John 16, verse 13 says, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you in all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. So here we see in this verse is that the Holy Spirit does speak back. He said, oh, I don't hear God. I'm not hearing any voices. No, no, no. That's not always how the Holy Spirit speaks. I know I've known people who claim to hear the voice of God in an audible voice, but that is extremely unique. That is extremely unique. Most of the time, the Holy Spirit speaks to a thing we call a conscience. 
our own knowledge, our own mind, our own brain. And we have to learn how to say, is that my own thought or is that a thought that God has given me? And God also speaks through signs and the people around us. But most importantly, the Holy Spirit speaks through the Word of God. And so we open up the Bible and we start to memorize it and fill ourselves with God's Word. Jesus described it as food. He said, man cannot live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, which is the Bible. And so as we learn the Bible, the Holy Spirit comes and helps us memorize it, helps us utilize it, and he guides us into all truth so that when a situation comes up in our lives, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit will bring a scripture to our mind. And if you say, well, that doesn't happen to me, well, then get into the word more. Memorize it more. And you'll find yourself in situations where you're, normally your hearts would be troubled. You know, you're struggling at work. You're struggling in your family. You're struggling in your relationships all around you. And all of a sudden, the Scripture pops into your mind. And all of a sudden, you're like, whoa, I'm not alone. Someone's speaking to me. It's the voice of God. Jesus promised it in John 16, 13. He will speak and He will guide us. And he'll tell us even what is yet to come. Isn't that amazing? The Holy Spirit knows so much so well that he will relay messages from heaven about the future so that we can know that he's got our back. Romans 8.11 says, And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who Christ raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. What's this mean? The promise is this. We believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that on the third day after Jesus died, the Spirit of God rose Jesus from the dead. And Jesus then promised that that same Spirit who rose him on the third day will then come and indwell us. Because we get the Holy Spirit living in us, the same thing that happened to Jesus will one day happen to us where we have a hope for all of heaven. We need that hope more now than ever. Like I was praying earlier in the service with things like storms and wars and shootings. That hope that Jesus has sent his spirit to live in us and that spirit will give us that life, immortal, everlasting, that is the promise and that is the hope that despite whatever we go through, this life is short. It's just a test. It's how we'll love each other and treat each other and love God and our neighbor. And then one day we will pass away. And it happens quickly. There are people I'm sure you remember who would sit in this very church only a few years ago who are now with our Lord and Savior. And we miss them dearly. But the beauty is, the Holy Spirit lived in them, and so we know because the Spirit of God raised Jesus, the Spirit of God will also raise our brothers and sisters who have passed away. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple that God's Spirit dwells in your midst. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. I'm sure you've heard this before. This should not be new to you. But here's the thing, church. 
We hear, oh, our body is a temple. You've heard that? Your body is a temple. You know what often people associate when you hear your body is a temple? They think, oh, well, I need to keep my body clean. And so they think, well, that means um, I should eat well and exercise. You know, my body's a temple. I've got to make sure that it's in good shape. No, 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 no. Like, that's how the culture uses that verse. You know what? The original meaning of this verse has not to do, even though you probably should exercise, you probably should eat well, and you should treat your body as though God would want you to treat it. What it really means is that God lives in you, which is way more powerful than how you appear on the outside. Who cares if you uh, have a good appearance on the outside? What, Jesus is, what, what, the, what Paul is telling the Corinthian church is God lives in you. What's going on inside of you, those thoughts, those words that are coming in your head, and, and you're sharing those with God. Those, uh, and for me, like, it's like, oh, wow, if I think anything judgmental, if I think any form of lust, if I think anything that is harsh towards my children or my wife or, 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 or my church or anyone around me, how dangerous am I putting myself in danger because God's Spirit lives in me and I don't want to grieve the Spirit that calls my body His temple. And so I need to realize that, yes, God's right here with me. There's not a thought that escapes my mind that God doesn't know. Because He lives here, I am His temple. And so when we talk about keeping the temple clean, it's more than just how we eat and exercise. It's how we conduct our thought life. It's how we believe and how we act out those beliefs that the Holy Spirit wants to live and lead and guide us through those thoughts. Because He's so close. So, I wondered as I was preparing this sermon about times where we don't feel close to God. I was talking to the Lord, and I said, Lord, well, what about times where I don't feel you? Uh, I wonder how you feel about that. Like, I'm sure there's times in your life where you don't feel the closeness of the Holy Spirit. Does that mean he's not there? If you turn off the lights in a room to spook your wife <laughs> and you creep up on her and just because she can't see you and feel you or hear you doesn't mean you're, you can't spook her. Jump up. Bah! Ah! No, you were there the whole time. She just wasn't aware of it. I wonder, not that God's trying to scare us or spook us. I'm just saying, I think that even though we might not always feel the presence of God, doesn't mean he's not there. Sometimes we always feel like the, our perceptions is actually our reality when I think we need to hope and trust that God's word is true, which tells us even though we might feel a certain way, God is still there leading and guiding. We can know through God's word that the spirit of God lives in us, that he is there How does that change how we live our lives? How we act moving forward? Well, one thing I think is that when we feel alone, 
we need to draw upon the Lord. The Bible says in the book of James, draw close to God and he will draw close to you. So there is a sense that, yes, if you are feeling that God is not close, God has promised that you can make an attempt, you can ask, you can seek, you can knock, you can try to draw close to him, and he will draw close to you. And so even though you might not feel it right now, you can make an attempt to to feel it. And God has promised he will show up in our midst. He might give you a sign, he might give you a feeling, he might send someone into your life. I'll tell you a time where I felt the most alone. So when I was uh, 30 years old, six years ago, I got bit by a tick at the end of the summer, and I ended up in the hospital. I've shared this story before. I don't know if I shared the story about where I was in the bed, though, and I was starting to get better. They put the IV antibiotics in me, and um, my heart started working again because I was having heart failure. Very scary time. I'm laying in bed, and Amy Beth has our kids with us. At the time, we had three. She's like, I gotta get these kids home. She hadn't spent very much time with them. She hasn't given them a shower, fed them. She needs to take them home and, and do that. And she goes off with her parents who are helping out with the kids. And they, so it goes from like five people in the room to zero. And I even called her about an hour later and I'm like, Amy Beth, I feel so alone and I'm so scared. And I was looking at the monitor of my heart and I had a pacemaker in and every uh, few minutes my heart would come down into the 40s and the pacemaker would kick on and boost it back up into the 50s and 60s. And that was just freaking me out and I was so scared of dying. Uh, even though this mach- the machines were working and keeping me alive, I was still afraid. And when you're afraid, fear and loneliness often come hand in hand. You ever feel, feel that? First of all, you'll be afraid of something and then you'll feel so alone. Uh, because we're social creatures, we need each other to help us get over our fear. When we have someone near, near us, if we're walking through a forest and we have someone hand in hand, we're more likely to overcome the lion, tigers, and bears, Wizard of Oz there, uh, than if we were just to go alone through the forest, right? And so here I'm alone in my bed and I'm, I, nobody's there. And I remember praying to God, God, would you just send me someone? And out of the blue, I had two visitors. One was uh, a, a man who also has done ministry, but when he was in his 30s, he spent months in the hospital. So if there's anyone who would know about being alone in a hospital, it would be this man. His name's David Casement. He uh, runs a ministry called Galcom International that sends radios to places in Africa and all over the world with uh, the Bible message on these radios. And he showed up in my hospital room and encouraged me. The other was... Uh, a friend of the family who's a, a mom and a nurse. And I needed that motherly nursing touch as well. And her, she's a friend of the family. Her name's Debbie Cook. And she showed up and she just encouraged me. And that story of praying out to God in the most loneliest, scared moment of my life, and then God instantly, like it was, I say instantly, it was like half an hour later, someone, two different people, one right after another, walk into the room hearing and answering that prayer, reminded me of how close God is, how he hears my thoughts, how he knows my needs. All I got to do is call out to him. Now, God might not answer your prayers when you're feeling far from God the same way, but the Holy Spirit is still listening, and he'll find a way to answer the needs of your heart. He will, and he's given you the church. If you're struggling, and you need to feel not being alone, He's given you each other. And the Holy Spirit that lives in me also lives in the person next to you in your same aisle. 
You can look around each other. If you believe and trust in Jesus as your Messiah and the Holy Spirit dwells in you, you have the Holy Spirit in your brother and sister to help encourage you. And some of the most encouraging things comes when someone who also has the Holy Spirit comes and his, the Holy Spirit in him speaks to you and you feel the presence of the Holy Spirit through those comforting words. And so we're going to move forward this summer by reading through the book of Acts and, 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 and teaching the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is the formation of the church and how the church needed each other to move forward. God didn't want to send out the church with us just as individuals. He wanted us to do it as a collective whole together. But we're united by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is close to us and he works in us together. So if there's anything that you uh, remember from today's sermon or the sermon series about the Holy Spirit, he is close. Closer than any other. And he loves you. And he leads and guides you into all truth. I encourage you, don't just develop your relationship with the Father God, even though you should. Don't just work on your relationship with the Son, Jesus Christ. You should. Don't forget the Holy Spirit. All right, let us pray. Father, I thank you for sending your Spirit, the Holy Spirit, to come and indwell us. Our bodies are your temple, Holy Spirit. And we want to live in the knowledge of your closeness. Lord, there are times where any of us, no matter how our introverted or extroverted we might be, no matter how we might appear on the, the outside of how our lives are going, all of us have at some point struggled with loneliness, and some people more than others. But your promise to us is that you will never leave us nor forsake us, that you've sent your Spirit to come live with us and in us. And so, Holy Spirit, we acknowledge that you are there. We acknowledge that our bodies are your temple. Speak to us as the word tells us that you speak, that you lead, that you, God, encourage us that we are not alone. Purify us, Holy Spirit, that every thought that comes to our mind that is not of you, Lord, we surrender it to you and we ask for forgiveness and we pray that you would give us your thoughts, that your will would be done in our lives. Lord, I come against any lying, deceiving thoughts that might cause us to be depressed, and even uh, anyone can have negative thoughts, and most people struggle with negative thoughts today. But Holy Spirit, I pray that you would counteract those negative thoughts in our head, those thoughts that are not from you, and would you fill us with the thoughts that come from your word, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, that although we are sinners, we are saved by grace through the love of Jesus Christ. Help those thoughts fill our hearts. Help us to think on, as the scripture tells us to think on, anything that is pure, admirable, lovely. 
And help us to keep our eyes fixed on you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, help us to concentrate on eternity and live for eternity and not just for here and now. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for your presence. We continually pray, Holy Spirit, fill our church. As next week is Pentecost, we pray, Holy Spirit, that we would sense your coming into the church, that there would be a powerful move in our lives, that, Lord, we would recognize, Holy Spirit, that you continually fill us to your glory. And so next week as we celebrate the coming of the Spirit, we invite you to come again, Holy Spirit. And fill us once again. In Jesus' name, amen.